This is Comic Geek Speak, episode 1655, a conversation with Carl Kiesel. I'm Brian Christman. And I'm Adam Murdo. And welcome to the show. Yes, we're actually doing an interview on Comic Geeks Pier. Haven't done an interview in quite some time, but uh, with Mr. Carl Kiesel, who's worked on comics for well over 30 years, writer, inker. I'm sure you've read something of his over the years. You know, we're going to go through his career in this episode, but. Um, he recently had a Kickstarter campaign for his Section Zero comic, and we were supposed to have Mr. Kiesel on a few weeks ago. If you recall our impromptu comic talk we had a little while ago, well, we were waiting for Mr. Carl Kiesel. We had a little conflict there, so we got him back on. But actually now, his campaign has been funded. Yep, just proving he didn't need the help of a bunch of pikers like Comic Geek Speak <laughs> to, get, to make his will be done. But, but still, we, we congratulate him, and we're happy that we're, we're still going to have him on in a few minutes to talk about it. Yes, but first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Comic Geeks is brought to you by SuperheroStuff.com. We go to for all of your Superhero Super stuff. stuff. Excellent, excellent. Yes, if, if you have any, whether it's you or a friend or relative who's looking for geek-related items, merchandise, this is the place to go, whether it's T-shirts, hats, hoodies, PJs and undies, belts, accessories, things for home office, uh, for, for kids, they've got it. Um, just all kinds of great. And again, they're always getting so much new stuff in. Right now, as you record this, it's the official release day of the Wonder Woman movie. So they've got a whole shop for Wonder Woman toys, you know, T-shirts, glasses, all kinds of things. Uh, they still have a lot of things for the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, Volume 2 that came out not too long ago. Uh, they've got pop figures, they've got buttons, uh, so they have the awesome mixed lapel pin from Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, they have a Wonder Woman movie tiara, very nice, uh, some pint glasses, uh, some t-shirts, mugs, always adding new things, always having promotions. So you're mm. going to want to keep checking their site regularly, sign up for their uh, notifications via email and Twitter. All kinds of promotions going on. They do hit some conventions every now and then, so also check out your convention to go find them in person. Uh, they're local to us here. Great people. We've been there for quite some time. So check them out, superherostuff.com. And if you get there quickly enough, now we're recording this on June 2nd, but uh, uh, there is a limited time offer right now uh, where if you buy 25 or more dollars worth of merchandise, you get a free Wonder Woman invisible jet. How about that? Uh, it's a uh, microverse size, though. It's uh, it's it's not you, you can't write in it or anything. I, I'm pretty sure it's just like a little <laughs> little plastic toy. But even so, it's free. Yes. All right. A, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, many of you know that um, Brian and I help out with the London Super Comic Convention, and it's happening uh, this August 25th, 26th, and 27th at the Business Design Center in London, England. And they just announced some big guests coming to the con, uh, including Bart Sears, Terry Dodson, and some guy named Brian Michael Bendis, <laughs> making his first UK con appearance. We're very happy he's coming to the convention and looking forward to that tremendously because this is, this is a new venue we're having it at. It used to be at the Excel Center. Now it's at this Business District Design Center. So looking forward to that. If you're looking for tickets, you can go to LondonSuperComicConvention.com and buy your tickets now. It's also the first time doing a three-day show. So looking forward to that very much. Uh, also want to mention, uh, coming up on Saturday and Sunday, June 17th and 18th, at Wild Pig Comics at 14 South Michigan Avenue in Kenilworth, New Jersey, 
our co-host stop, um, Wild Pig Comics, run by Chris Eberly, is having a special sale. Details are still coming. I got a text from Chris about an hour and a half ago, as a matter of fact. So this is all coming into fruition. But listen to this sale. He says it's the largest back issue sale in Wild Pig Comics history. Mm, that is saying something. Yes. He, now, he just has over 10,000 fresh back issues are being prepared, as well as hundreds of like-new used trades. All comics and trades will be 25% off. They also have a large assortment of toys and pop figures at $5 a piece. And I just got this text. This text says he just picked... Now, that, the email was from a few days ago. This text says he just picked up another 5,000 books, so he'd be putting out 15,000 fresh back issues from the Silver Age through 2016 that weekend. Fresh back issues, no less. Fresh. So that's, uh, it'll be wall-to-wall comics and trades that weekend. Um, it's going to be open Saturday, June 17th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday, June 18th from noon to 8 p.m. So if you're in the area, I think it'd be well worth your while to visit it. Uh, now, unfortunately, I'm going to be at Heroes Con that weekend, so I'm going, oh, maybe I might see if he has any special books and say, hey, can somebody get them up for me? <laughs> but uh, I'll be with you there in spirit, Chris. Uh, I guess, Adam, you'll be probably down at Stone Harbor, I imagine, that weekend? Most likely, yes. So that's, I'm upset enough that I'm not going to be able to come to Heroes Con with you, Brian. And so I apologize to you and everybody who might have been looking forward to seeing me down there. So, But I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, other commitments have, have proved an insuperable obstacle, and I am out. But, but uh, I hope you have a good time out at Heroes, Brian. And I hope Chris has uh, great success with his uh, sale at the, that same time. Yes, comics, comics, wall-to-wall comics. I love it. All right, well, now we're going to join Mr. Carl Kiesel for a wonderful conversation. All right, and now joining us for the episode is Mr. Carl Kiesel. Welcome to the show, Mr. Kiesel. Well, thank you very much. Good to be here. Yes, um, we tried to get you on a little while ago when we had some issues, so I'm very happy we have you on the show now to talk about what now has been funded, your Section Zero Kickstarter. Yes, it has. Uh, I'm, I'm as surprised as anyone, believe me. I, I, it's a good surprise. But um, I really expected we would be talking about the Section Zero Second Kickstarter right now. <laughs> because that's, I've been working on that for the last, like, two weeks. It's two weeks of w- wasted work at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're going to get into that and many other things. We have a little time to talk here. But the first thing we ask everybody who is on the show for the very first time... Mm-hmm is how did you first start getting into reading comics? Okay. um, I know I picked up a few loose comics as a kid, but when I really got into reading comics was 1969, and our family took a summer trip driving across country. I grew up in New York State. We drove all the way to California, uh, across the southern tier, drove all the way back across the northern tier. We took the entire summer break. And my dad had outfitted a, a Dodge van, and there was a little, uh, he had changed the two middle seats so they faced each other in the back of the van and built a table where we could, me and my sister could sit and play games and read. And, you know, basically we sat in the car for eight or ten hours a day, mostly. <laughs> and that, for a ten-year-old, is really boring. <laughs> and um, at the time, you know, we'd pull into gas stations, and you know what gas stations had in, in 1969? They had comic books. Yes. <laughs> And uh, I would pick up comics, and um, we were gone for a whole month, so actually, you know, some comics, new issues of comics would show up, and it was gas stations, so they actually even had some older issues hanging around that had been looked over or picked over or what. So in the course of that month, I probably got three issues in a row of, of a lot of the Marvel comics, and I started to understand the connectivity of the stories and really get into the characters, and uh, that was the summer I just got hooked. That was the summer I got hooked on comics. Hooked on comics. I like it. It works for me. Do you still have any of those books? Oh, I have many. Well, I have most. I don't want to say most. I I sold most of my Marvels to pay for the adoption of my son. Okay. So, um, but I did keep some. I kept all my Fantastic Fours. So I have the Fantastic Fours I bought at the time, which I was issues like 80, 81, 82. 
and I do have Silver Surfer number one, which I bought off the stands, oh, which nice. I, I have scotch taped the cover back onto. <laughs> so, but, um, so I still have a few of those old comics, but, uh, but, uh, you know, most of them I actually did get rid of to pay for adoption costs. Okay. So then how did you then eventually get into creating comics, both, you know, writing and drawing comics? Well, I, I mean, really quickly, I decided I wanted to be a cartoonist. I mean, I, you know, like any kid, I had a million things I wanted to be. I wanted to be a veterinarian for a very long time, but, but I, I'm, I'm kind of queasy around blood and hurting animals. So mm-hmm. I, I knew that that really was not going to become an option for me. And somewhere in there, the comics just really clicked as, as something I would want to do and probably could do. Um, and so I pursued that pretty single-mindedly most of my, my young adult life. Uh, I can't think of anything else that I seriously wanted to do. And uh, luckily, when I was graduating high school in 77, the Joe Kubert School had opened up. And um, I was actually in their, what would have been their second graduating class. And I went there in uh, the fall of 77. And um, I quickly decided I did not have what it takes to be a cartoonist. <laughs> I was surrounded by some damn talented people. I can imagine so, you know, and I had I had come from a small town in upstate New York where I really kind of thought I was it, you know, and that was not the case. That was not the case at all. I mean, I still remember so distinctly walking in, uh, and this is like before classes even began, and John Tottlebin was there, and John Tottlebin had a 11 by 17 piece of paper, and he just took a pencil and made an S curve on it that took up most of the page, and that's all the penciling he did. Then he took his brush and put it in ink, and he drew the most fantastic Frazetta-like sea serpent you'd ever seen. <laughs> And it was like, it was just like flown from his head. And I, I was like going, I cannot compete on this level. <laughs> so um, I actually, at the end of the year, I actually uh, left the Kubert School. So I never did graduate. And I went to a, a, a fine arts school trying to figure out what I was actually going to do with my, my artistic uh, abilities. But it was when I was there that I, I just kept gra- gravitating back to comics. I would, oh, I'm in the, you know, the drugstore, and oh, what's happening in X-Men right now? Oh, because this was like Byrne and Austin and Claremont X-Men era, you know. And I was just, you know, it was like, you know, it's like Al Pacino in Godfather. Like, I got pulled back in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> How did you then eventually get into um, the writing part of the comics? Well, you know, I, I moved to New York City, and bothered DC and Marvel with samples until I was lucky enough to get into DC's New Talent Showcase program. And from there, I very quickly uh, was got a good break to ink Tales of the Legion of Superheroes, first over Terry Shoemaker, then for six is- issues over um, uh, a young guy named Dan Jurgens, who you may have heard of. Ah. May have heard of. Rings a bell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, but, I mean, quite honestly, you know, you know that, that led to different things. Like, I was, you know, I obviously inked John Byrne on Superman for a while. And I always had ideas for stories. I always had ideas for stories. And John actually uh, said that if, if I was a Marvel guy, my, my nickname would be Carl the Kibitzer Kiesel. Because I just was like, hey, John, how about this idea, you know? And, and I mean, I, it's not like I supplied a lot of ideas John used. I think the only idea I threw John's way that he actually used was I said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if Terrible Turpin we revealed was actually Brooklyn from Boy, Boy Commandos all grown up? And John liked that one, and he used it. But, nice. but, um, but I would do the same thing on Suicide Squad. I kept, I would write long letters to John Ostrander with ideas for the Suicide Squad, uh, and he and his wife Kim called them Kiesel Apiecels. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, anyways, I was always interested in that sort of thing, and you know, uh, somewhere in there, you know, uh, I got a chance to uh, co-write a Hawk and Dove miniseries with my uh, girlfriend at the time, then my wife Barbara Kiesel. And uh, that just, you know, little by little, the door opened for me as a writer. And um, my first solo writing uh, chance, I wrote a Secret Origin of the, of the Newsboy Legion for Secret Origin book that was edited by some guy named Mark Wade. Mm-hmm. You know, so Mark, Mark gave me my first big break as a writer. Very so, cool. but, um, but then, you know, out of the blue, I got a call from Mike Carlin saying... Jerry Ordway had, had kind of run his fill on Superman, and would, would I like to step in? And I mean, that was the call that changed my career. Yeah. Now, yeah. Adam, I'm going to keep going on here, so if you want to have any questions, you better jump in, Adam, okay? I will not hesitate. Um, oh, maybe I will. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, where, where does Hawk and Dove fall into this, uh, this early part of your career as a writer? 
Well, I mean, that came, uh, yeah, obviously before the Superman gig, um, and before even the, t- the secret origin of the Newsboy Legion, uh, that came about, well, it came about, about the time I was inking the history of the DC universe over George Perez, because I was inking the, uh, uh, double page spread from Crisis, and, 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 and he had a little, you know, sidebar of all of the fallen heroes who had died during Crisis, and one was Dove. And I mean, I was even inking Dove, and I was going, Dove, you know, white blue costume name like Dove, it really should have been a girl. It really should have been a female. And uh, I know I, I talked that over with Barbara, and um, somewhere in there it actually became a real pitch. I can't say exactly how that happened, um, but that was yeah, uh, that was the that I, I would I would say that wasn't actually the first thing I pitched back in my Legion Tales of the Legion superheroes days. Um, Terry Shoemaker, who I still think is an amazing artist, he was only on the book for six issues. And he wanted to do something else. And Terry loved cars. He really loved cars. And so I came up with an idea for a guy who would um, drive a car. uh, You know, he would be like this kid and he would be street racing. And he has his car. And then a UFO crashes and he puts parts from the UFO in his car. And then his car can do all these crazy things. I thought thought Terry would like to draw that. And uh, obviously nothing came of it. And the only reason I bring it up is I ran across that pitch. I gave it to Karen Berger. And and she was very gracious, and she said thanks, but not right now. Nice, yeah. Uh, now we just touching on your career. I mean, you've been in comics for well over thirty years. I mean, you mentioned already history of the DC universe. You worked on Suicide Squad, you know, Hawk and Dove, uh, Legends, Legends, uh, Who's Who, you know, inking John Byrne on Superman. Of course, you know, probably one of the you met your big breaks, Reign of Superman. You know, with Superboy yeah. leading into that. So many things. Now, we just talked about Hawk and Dove. I was actually getting into comics, back into comics, around that time. Maybe like a year or two before. And I was really enjoying the, um, I guess it was called Armageddon 2001. And, you know, it's, it's been many, many years. But I know there was some change of who the main villain was supposed to be. It was supposed to be, I guess, Captain Adam. Then it became yeah. Hawk. Right. Now, since you were writing Hawk and Dove, you sort of had to... Finish a series. How did that? Ha- what was your perspective of how that went down? What, were you involved with that decision-making process at all? Oh, oh no, not at all. I mean, it, it was you know DC owns those characters; they can do whatever they want. So it was uh, really just told to us that you know the, the Hawk and Dove book, uh, the regular monthly book, was selling okay, but it was certainly not selling gangbusters. Uh, there had been a few points where we had been told we were kind of close to the chopping block. And uh, as, I, as I understand it, basically, once news of Captain Adam as Monarch leaked out, they looked for an alternative, and since Hawk and Dove wasn't selling that well anyways, they thought we were a, a sacrificial lamb that they could afford, basically. And uh, we were just given the, the, you know, we were told the book's going to end, and um, we just had to kind of wrap things up, uh, you know. So, we're hired guns. We were hired guns, you know. Okay. That's cool. Now... Of course, you mentioned the big break with Mike Harlan, and can you talk about how that whole thing happened? Well, what what do you mean, that whole thing? Well, how you got involved in the whole Superman storyline. Right, well, I mean, obviously, they'd already decided to kill Superman when they called me up. I mean, Jerry was involved with killing him, and then Jerry, I guess, Jerry felt that was pretty much the capper to his his (laughs) run on Superman. And and Carlin asked if I could come on board uh, to, to to help out bring him back. And so I, I said, sure, that would be great. I mean, you know, I know at the time no one expected the death of Superman to be what it was. I mean, I, I had accepted this assignment with the understanding that Superman was selling well enough that I would maybe see $100 a month in royalties. So, you know, it was selling, but it wasn't selling, you know. <laughs> um, and I enjoyed Carlin. You know, Carlin and I have always gotten real, along really well. I enjoyed Dan and Dan's work. It, it seemed like a good bunch of people to be in with. And uh, so I said, yeah, and they brought me in. My first su- summit was the summit where we, where we decided how to bring back Superman. And uh, it, was, it was a great time. You know, I know Dan has said a few times from, from the minute I walked in the room, it seemed like I'd always been there, which is a great compliment, you know. Now, so, is this where you first also met Tom Grummet? Yes, I, that was the first time I met him face-to-face, and he was already drawing... Uh, Adventures of Superman, so I was inheriting him, or he was inheriting me, however you want to look at it. But um, but I'll tell you, an interesting story is that twice before I had 
I had had kind of my, my path almost crossed with Tom's. Uh, once again, I, you know, I was living in New York City. I went into the DC offices and that, um, that young editor, Mark Wade, <laughs> pulled me over and he goes, Carl, Carl, I, I want to show you someone. I think you'd be so good on inking him. And he showed me these pages of The Secret Origin of Animal Man, Animal Man drawn by Tom Grummet. And I believe that was the first, first thing Tom ever did for DC. And it was be- beautiful stuff. And I did not, for whatever reason, end up inking it. Probably I was too busy, or maybe even Mark had already found a different inker, but he just thought we would be a good pair. And so he showed me the stuff. And and um, obviously it, it left an impression, because I remember to, to, to the day, to this day, what that page looked like. And um, then at about the same time, I went down to the Marvel offices um, because my contract was lapsing, so I was looking, you know, my exclusive at DC was lapsing, so I was looking for what options I might have at Marvel. And I went up there, and uh, a young editor up there who was doing a, 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 a sci-fi anthology book called Open Space, his name was Kurt Busick, he, uh, he pulled me aside, and he goes, Carl, I got this guy drawing a story for me, and I think you'd be perfect to ink him. Obviously, Kurt and Mark both saw something uh, simpatico in, in our approaches, and, and clearly, they were right. We've done, I think, some really strong, solid comics together. I think Tom and, um, you know, I, I have to say I've enjoyed inking a lot of different people. Um, but Tom and, I would say, Mike Waringo are the two people I've worked with extensively that I really felt in sync with, you know. And I think that uh, both of them, the simil- their styles are very different. But what I see that's similar is... Um, there, there's a seriousness to their work, but there, there's also um, a smile in their work, and and I, I personally like that. Yes, and I, I was a big fan of Superboy when it was coming out. So, how did you? How did you get on that book? Did you pitch for that book? Did you get a sign for that book? <clears throat> well, the the deal was uh, when we were figuring out. You know, I had been told before the summit. Uh, come to the summit with some ideas on how to bring Superman back. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to think of how, how would I do it? And um, I thought maybe there could be four different Superman, one in each book. And I'm not trying to claim credit for that because when I got to the uh, summit, that seemed to be have been decided uh, before I even showed up. You know what I mean? I mean, on the bus ride to the summit, uh, Carlin made some comment that made me think, oh, we're going to have different Superman in all the books. That's already been decided. Um, but but I'm just saying. I guess this is. I was I was already kind of in sync because that that was a thought that appealed to me. And and I will admit uh, when I came up with the idea and, and I did write a few paragraphs about it. Uh, I did think. Well, what are the four different Supermen? My idea would be um, maybe they could reflect the title of the book somehow. So Man of Steel, maybe he's a robot. You know, there's a lot, there's a long history of Superman robots. Maybe that would be what it is. Action comics, I thought, well, you could do a Siegel and Schuster-esque Superman, one who leaps an eighth of a mile and, and bursting shells can still hurt him and that sort of thing. And, um, and I thought Superman would actually be the Superman. It must, it must be Superman in the Superman book. And then I was stuck, though. The one I was stuck on was... The Adventures of Superman, the book, the book I'd be writing. I was going like, <laughs> what does that say to me? It doesn't, s-. and I, I mean, I was like literally hitting my head against a wall because I, I was very excited about the possibilities of this approach, but I couldn't figure out what fit naturally into a book called Adventures of Superman until I remembered the old tagline, The Adventures of Superman when he was a boy. Uh-huh. And I said, Superboy, that's perfect. And and so that was that was in my little paragraph write up that that I brought with me to the summit, and uh, but I mean, I don't even think people read read that because as soon as we sat down, Carlin just said, "What kind of Superman can we have?" And he had a big you know uh, whiteboard and he just started writing down what everyone was saying: alien and you know female Superman and you know and and it was Dennis Janke who first said Superboy, and he was the inker on Man of Steel over John Bogdanov. And it got written down there. And, like, I was going, oh, no, I wanted Superboy. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'd already gotten really attached to this idea, you know. Um, but uh, so then when we started divvying things up and, and Superboy came up, um, there had already been some talk about him being a clone, possibly a clone of Superman or a supposed clone of Superman. And I, even at that point, 
had done a number of stories with Project Cadmus. I'd done them as backups in the Adventures of Superman book uh, a few times. I'd done the, and everyone knew I loved that stuff. And so I said, well, you know, if we're going to make him attached to Cadmus, you know, maybe, maybe I could do him, you know. And, and I was kind of poaching, you know, Dennis had put that name on the board. He kind of had prior claim to it, you know. The, the Man of Steel book really, if they had put their foot down, they could have had Superboy. And I, I would have understood that. Um, but I made one little effort to, to get him. And Wheezy Simonson, to, to her credit, just said, oh, yeah, okay, you can have Superboy. I mean, that was, that was like another moment that changed my life right there. So, so Tom and I had Superboy. And, uh, you know, and I, and I don't think Wheezy and Bob did very badly with Steel either. You know, I think clearly they did fine. Mm. So, and, uh, you know, it was while we were there, Tom came up with a design for Superboy, which basically is the way you saw him. The only thing Mike Carlin had asked was, uh, Tom gave Superboy kind of spiky hair, more like what Robin had at the time. And Mike Carlin said, give him the spit curl. And then we were set. <laughs> Wise man, that great Carlini. Yeah, the great Carlini is he's known for the, as the great Carlini for a reason. <laughs> and <laughs> in looking through some of my, my research here, if I'm not mistaken, at that time, or for a very brief time, Tom Grummet was penciling both Superboy and Robin. Does that sound about right? Probably about right. There's there's certainly a time, yeah. Um, he's a fast guy. He can work very quickly, thank God, you know? That's amazing. amazing. I mean, now, yeah. you were not inking uh, over him on the first run of Superboy because you were writing. Writing. And I think yeah, and I was still writing Adventures of Superman. And, you know, I, I will admit, uh, writing or inking, I'm not the fastest worker. I work uh, for comics quite slowly. Uh, so if I'm inking a book, it, it takes me at least three weeks and probably more to ink a book. I, I'm really a page-a-day guy. Okay. And, um, and writing, it takes me about... Five days to write a script. It almost always takes me five days to write a script. So I can't really do, you know, too much, you know. But but the second time around, yeah, Tom and I, I was really amped about doing uh, a second run on Superboy. And and at least for most of those issues, I inked those. So I was really happy with that. And now recently uh, with, with DC, they've had, they had a, a mini crossover called The Button where they reflected on the... DC Rebirth and the whole Watchmen thing. And in one of the issues, they brought up Hypertime. One of the few stories that came out of Hypertime, you were the writer on. You wrote Hypertension. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a few who were brave enough to play with that particular toy. <laughs> well, I, I had a lot of fun, I have to say. And, um, you know, that, that came about uh, really by... You know, so much in life is timing, right? Mm-hmm. But that, that story came about because of timing, too. I mean... I uh, had been working on, you know, Tom and I are, I were back on Superboy. I was writing and inking it at the time. We were having a great time. We were having such a good time on that book. And I was trying to think of what we were going to do next, and I contacted the editor, uh, Mike McAvenny, and I said, I got this idea that maybe we could send Superboy to a lot of these different uh, Elseworlds that, that DC's been doing. I think it would be funny if, fun if he bounced around from different Elseworlds to different Elseworlds. And Mike was, like, quiet on the phone for a minute. He goes, I, I think you should talk to Mark Wade <laughs> <laughs> because that was right when Mark Wade and Grant Morrison were proposing Hypertime, and it just so happened I was like right there at the same time, and um, they were gracious enough basically to let me hitch my wagon to that star, and uh, you know Grant Morrison is a man of 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 I- ideas that just shoot through the roof. There's no stopping him, hmm. and. Um, he he gave me a, he and Mark gave me a great platform to play with some great toys to play with. So yeah, that is that's still I think a really good story that we did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to find it in my collection to reread it, but I, I I couldn't I couldn't find my comics for that. <laughs> I keep telling you, Brian, you can borrow my copies if it comes down to it. Well, if I have to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh so. my gosh! And uh, like I said, you've uh, now around that time that was I guess like was that a ninety eight ninety nine I think. Probably, probably. Mm-hmm. And that sort of leads into right around the 2000s when... Well, actually, before we uh, get onto that fateful year of 2000, okay. uh, I did want to interject one thing here, um, just uh, for, the, for the Marvel zombies in the listening audience, just to establish that Mr. Kiesel does, in fact, have a pretty impressive resume on both sides of the Marvel DC aisle. Um, I wanted to point out uh, that uh, you, Mr. Kiesel, are the author of one of my favorite ever runs of Daredevil. 
12 issues from the mid-90s, paired with artist Carrie Nord. Yeah, Carrie, great guy, great artist. Boy, yeah, well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you like those. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep, whenever anybody brings up uh, well, favorite runs of theirs on that character, and they talk about uh, the Mark, you know, that, that upstart young editor, Mark Wade again, who gave you one of your breaks, uh, and uh, Chris Somney, the, the work they've done on the character recently. I, I always yeah. say, yes, they're doing some great stuff with Daredevil, but they're kind of tapping into the same tonal vein that uh, Carl Kiesel and Carrie Nord got into in the mid-90s. Yeah, I, you know, and, and and I've had that comparison brought up to me before, and I would, I would say this, is my reaction is always that... Uh, Mark and, and Chris and, and all the other artists he, he worked with on that. Mark, Mark did the Daredevil I wish I could have done. I mean, I was, you know, it just comes down to the fact that Mark is a better writer. And Mark uh, has a laser focus on these things. And uh, uh, I think we both have similar, very similar uh, outlooks and, uh, and like the same sort of things. And I'm, I was so thrilled with Mark's run because really it was everything I would have liked to have done with the character. Uh, yeah, it's it's a brilliant run, absolutely brilliant. So again, to that fateful year around two thousand, um, I remember at the time hearing of Gorilla Comics. Um, I was a big fan of Mark Wade, so I, I know that I got the issues of Empire that they came out. Right. But uh, Adam, actually, amongst the two of us, was the one who actually bought and owns a copy of Section Zero, number one. I, uh, that's why I like Adam better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> meaner, Brian. <laughs> So, talk a little bit about how the original Section Zero came to be. <clears throat> well, I mean, Section Zero uh, specifically, or Guerrilla Comics, or oh, whatever. Oh, yeah, Guerrilla well, Comics. Was- I will tell you this. Let's let's start with Section Zero. I mean, it actually starts separately from Guerrilla Comics. Okay. Because, um, although not separately, oddly enough, from Kurt Busiek. Um, you know, Kurt Busiek is another man of many ideas, and most of them brilliant. I would have to say. Um, uh, and there was a time before Guerrilla Comics that uh, Kurt had an idea for an anthology book, and, and I don't want to go into all the details, but it would have been more of a, a newsstand magazine than a comic. And uh, But he wanted four different features in this magazine, four different comics features. And uh, Kurt and I being pals, uh, he he was talking to me, and, and he knew that I certainly uh, had always wanted to do something Challengers of the Unknown-like, FF, FF-like. Those are, you know, really my two favorite uh, comics from DC and Marvel. I just love those concepts, and, and clearly they're closely related. Um, and so Tom Grumman and I put together an idea for a team called Section Zero, which would be, you know, I guess nowadays I, the, the elevator pitch is Jack Kirby does the X-Files. Mm-hmm. And um, Kurt is the one who came up with the name. Really, I mean, I was banging my head against the wall trying to think of a good name for this team. And uh, Kurt came up with the name Section Zero, which he said, sounds really Kirby-like, doesn't it? And it, it does because Jack has actually done a Section Zero. It's, it's part of uh, Apocalypse. Right. Um, I, I, you posted something about that on your Facebook feed. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's at least one, maybe two issues of Mr. Miracle that at least mention it in passing, yeah. So, um... But, but, you know, it was, Kurt came up with the, the name, but it really didn't mean anything. And, and so I, I still remember walking up and down the sidewalk in front of my house going, Section Zero, Section Zero, because I love the name. And it's, what's this a section of? What, the UN Charter. It's, you know, and once I thought of it as the secret section of the UN Charter, everything else just kind of fell apart, fell, fell apart, and, you know, <laughs> fell in place. And, um, you know, Tom and I put put together the idea and the look at the team very quickly, um, and uh, then that anthology book didn't happen, and so it just kind of sat on the back shelf for a while until Guerrilla Comics came along. And once again, Kurt was saying, you know, Kurt was telling me one day, yeah, Mark and I have got this idea for a little imprint, and you know, he invited Tom and I to to join the uh, join the ride, which we were more than happy to do. And uh, we just dusted off uh, Section Zero, and uh, and that's what we published. Three issues of Section Zero in 2000. And then it went away, unfortunately. Yeah, it went, it went away, unfortunately. Uh, my, my own life kind of fell apart a little bit, and uh, I could no longer uh, literally afford to work on a, a creator-owned book since we were not being paid any money. Right. And, and uh, Guerrilla Comics itself kind of fell apart at the same time, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, uh, I would say... You know, Section Zero was was um, 
I would still put the blame for Section Zero going away on my shoulders. I mean, clearly, uh, Kurt and Stuart continued with their ideas for a while. Um, but yeah, Gorilla fell apart generally. Um, but Section Zero really did specifically fall apart because of my problems. Now, before I'm going to put aside, I just noticed in the background, because I can see your video, is that a spinner rack you have in the back? Oh, of course it's a spinner rack. Of course it is. <laughs> Yeah, we have one in the... Well, we don't have a spinner rack. We actually have a rack of comics. What is on your spinner rack there? I can't really see it too clearly. Oh, well, it's... It has not been updated in a very long time, but I've got... Um, let me see. The uh, Essential Ant-Man is there. The Essential Human Torch. Uh, some Section Zero. Some of the... Well, that's fairly recent. The Battlestar Galactica I wrote. Some Rose and Thorn that Gail Simone wrote eons ago. Mm-hmm. Like I said, these are old. Some of these are very old. I've got some... Uh, PvP comics, player versus player, by Scott Kurtz. You know, back when there was actually a, a comic that he published. What else? Walking Dead. I, you know, like I said, I, I for a while tried to keep it up, and you know, would rotate the comics, and that I stopped doing that a long time ago. <laughs> but, yeah, it just caught my eye. So, oh my god, that's a spinner rack he's got. It's a spinner rack. There it is. Very yeah. nice. Yeah, I think every good comic geek should have a spinner rack. They really should. I don't even know if they make them anymore. Probably not. Yeah, I have to go look for one some like at a flea market somewhere. Yeah, flea markets or eBay nowadays. Yeah, I actually got this from a friend of mine who ran a, a small comic shop in the town I grew up in, Victor, New York, and um, he was kind enough to to uh, uh, give it to me at one point. Okay. Well, now you actually mentioned how did you get from <laughs> not by plant? How did you get from New York to Portland, where you are now? <laughs> well, that would be uh, uh, because of my first wife, Barbara. She uh, she grew up in in Los Angeles area. And did not like New York City at all. She was working as an editor at DC, uh, yeah, DC Comics. Did not like, she liked working at DC, but she did not like New York at all. Um, and so she really wanted to move back to the West Coast. I am not a fan of Los Angeles. I just have never warmed to that city, that area very much. And so I wasn't really thrilled about the idea of moving to Los Angeles. So she wanted to live on the West, and I kind of wanted to live in the North. West, North, North, Northwest. We, well, we should look at the Northwest. And as it happened, uh, an old Joe Kubert, uh, QB buddy of mine, Ron Randall, lived in Portland, Oregon. And uh, actually, when he lived in Dover, New Jersey, when he was still breaking in, um, Barbara and I would hang out with him and his wife, Linda, uh, quite often on weekends. And we were, we were all very close. And so he said, well, if you're going to move, you guys should move to Portland, Oregon. And uh, we came out, we visited, we liked it, and, uh, you know, in, in 1989, we moved out to Portland, Oregon. It was a long time ago. Wow. And at the time, Dark Horse uh, was around, it was around, Ron Randall was doing Trekker for them, and uh, Boris the Bear was being done, and the American, very early, very early Dark Horse. They were in this teeny tiny storefront uh, on, on a street in Portland uh, that... I think now is a nail salon. I mean, it was a small space for Dark Horse Comics, and that was the first place you know I saw them. But then they quickly moved down to to Milwaukee and expanded. They they own the whole town of Milwaukee now. So, but um, but yeah, I moved in '89 to Portland. That's how I ended up here, and uh, it turned out to be a town I really love. It's a town I love, uh, and uh, we have great a great cartoonist community here. There are so many cartoonists that live in Portland. Uh, that, you know, there's, there's people you can complain to about, and they understand what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, those editors. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so. Any names we'd recognize? Oh, out here? Sure. Steve Lieber is out here. Ron Randall's out here. Paul Galassi is out here. Um, a little guy named Matt Wagner lives out here. Mm-hmm. Um, Randy Bowen, the sculptor, he lives out here. Um who else is out here? There's so many people. Gary Martin lives out here. Randy Emberlin lives out here. Um, Aaron Lepresti. Terry, well, Terry Dodson doesn't live in Portland anymore. He lives down in uh, Florence, which is the town he grew up in, uh, in on the Oregon coast. Um, I mean, Mignola lived here for a while. Art Adams lived here for a while. Came, you know, we, we, we have a good crowd here, a very good crowd. Jeff Parker lives here. Um, Chris Somney was here. Anyways, we've had, we've had people come and go, but it's it's a really great cartooning town. It really is. Yeah. All right, so after Section Zero, that, that put on the shelf for a while. Put on the shelf. And then you, I guess you started, you were writing uh, Harley Quinn. You were also writing yes. Fantastic Four through the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you always have Section Zero in the back of your mind wanting to bring it back, or did you just forget about oh, yeah. it? 
No, no, no. It was always there. I mean, you know, uh, it was it was designed by design. It was the sort of comic I've always wanted to do, and um, and it was the sort of comic that uh, that DC and Marvel was not necessarily interested in doing. So I knew if I, we were going to do it, well, we we're going to have to bring back Section Zero. Uh, and over the years, I have talked to Image Comics about doing it there, and they were interested. But once again, you know, Tom and I are just not in a position where we can work for free and. The, uh, the the amount of money they could offer us up front, even you know, uh, at image, you know, which, which they do from time to time. They don't generally, but at t- from time to time they offer some upfront money, and you know, they ran their numbers and they could not offer us enough to do it at image. I had a similar thing happen at IDW. They really wanted to bring Section Zero back, and the m- amount of money they offered us was not enough to pay our bills for the amount of work we needed to do. Um, so in 2012, actually. Tom and I thought we'd try uh, take a stab at, at online comics, and we actually reposted all three issues of Section Zero online, and in the course of that, produced 12 new pages of material, and then it, it, it once again, was not paying us money. And it, it was clear Section Zero was not the sort of project Tom and I could do on the side. It was the sort of project we needed to devote ourselves to, and that meant we had to pay our bills. And so... We started talking about Kickstarter, you know, a number of years ago and exploring it and researching it. And, you know, as you know, we did it. We finally jumped in with both feet and uh, ran a Section Zero Kickstarter, which got funded. So we're going to do it. Yes. Uh, we were originally going to have you on to sort of help you with the Kickstarter, but it just ended yesterday and it was funded. And I was very pleased because I pledged my $25 for the hardcover. Well, I think it was, now it's going to be the hardcover. It, now it's hardcover. Everyone that gets a printed book gets a hardcover. Sweet. Yeah. So this is now so, more like a, this is like a victory lap for you now. It is. Yeah, I will say when, you know, when I was first going to be on, I was going to promote the Kickstarter, and then that window passed. But uh, at that point, I was convinced we were not going to get funded. I mean... At fifty, at the at the halfway point in the campaign, we had not raised fifty percent of our money, and I thought if we have not raised fifty percent at the halfway point, there's no way, there's no way we're going to raise more in the second half of the campaign than we did at the first, because everyone that was excited about the project pledged that first day. We had a great first day. You know, we were at twenty percent funded, thirty percent funded in like four days, but but then you know a week and a half later, we still had not made fifty percent. So I was convinced it was doomed. And I, I kept plugging away at it. I kept, you know, because I had the plan that we would launch a rebooted campaign the day after, which would have been today. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ran some numbers and I figured out ways to save a little more money and consolidate. I was going to get rid of almost all of the rewards and just print things in the book as opposed to envelopes and, uh, and uh, you know, manila envelopes and, and posters. We were just going to put it all in the book. And, and that's what I thought we'd be talking about today. I thought we'd, I'd come on to with you today and we would talk about the new Kickstarter and how everyone should run out and support it right now. <laughs> and uh, surprise, 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 uh, we were funded yesterday, you know, and funded, I think, handily. We were looking for 62000 and we ended up with uh, just change over 65000 So um, I'm thrilled that I actually have my life back again <laughs> and, and can devote my life to something that I, you know, quite honestly, I really enjoyed running the Kickstarter. It was a, it, you know, a month of adrenaline is what it is. Mm. But I'm really looking forward to settling into doing what I think I do better, which is comics. Yeah, uh, and I noticed you brought out a lot. Well, you, first of all, you had a whole a crew of people, friends throughout the industry, helping you out with, you know, the video you did for that, of course, uh, you, you uh, know. And making um, some donations to the um, Kickstarter and like some of the uh, level prizes. You know, yeah. And you and Tom opened up your vault because you, you, as I understand, it, you actually keep a lot of your original art that you've worked on. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't sell a lot, no. And, uh, you know, especially stuff that's close to me. I mean, like the Superboy stuff that Tom and I, that I inked over Tom, I've sold very little of that. Very little. So I, I, and Tom and I were dividing up whole books. So I would have like all of issue 61, all oh. of issue 65 or oh. something like that. You know, I, I would have whole books of art, oh. which was wonderful. Um, I mean, I, art that has the lettering on the pages. Yes, too. I know. <laughs> Cause like I said, I, I'm a, I'm a, 
pretty good art collector of, of the last like 12 years or so and you know, I've met a few people who keep their art, and I like that you have, like, entire books, because that just, oh, with the lettering. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And I was, yeah. I was very tempted, because you had a few pages from the, ten the hypertension storyline yeah. available. Yeah. And it was, I was really going back and forth. Do I want it? Because I know you, you kept a lot of your art. It's like, do I want to do that? But I just, I was, I was calm, and I just went with the $25. But, uh, wow. Yeah, I just... Someday I'd love to just look through the artwork you have. I mean, I mean. Uh. Yeah, well, if you're in Portland, please stop oh, by. Yes. <laughs> I can't say I'm. I can't say it's organized, but I know where it is. At least you oh, don't no. know what you're letting yourself in for, Mr. <laughs> no, that's not a problem. Not a problem. So I, I, you know, I, 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 you know, not so much now that I have children, but before children, I did a lot of art collecting myself. You know, uh, I, I, I have this attitude that um, if I want people to buy my art. If I, if I want people to think my art is worth buying, I have to think art is worth buying. So I should buy art. And so I have, over the years, I've bought art from people I've always admired. Sure, certainly. You know? Um, mostly, I, I would say, you know, I have a lot of Milton Kniff work, because I love Kniff's work. I've got 14 dailies of his. Wow. So, yeah, so, you know, like, almost three whole weeks of his life I've got represented. You know? <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I've got some Kirby. I... You know, um, I've got um, I've got a Watchmen page, which oh. is nice. That's nice. Oh. And, and quite honestly, the only reason I have that is because my wife at the time edited the book. Oh, oh. <laughs> so you so you're an original owner, more or less, of that page, then? Yeah, no, yeah, we got it right from Dave. Yeah. Oh. So I'm sorry. Um, I need but, a moment here. I just I just I just love talking original art and with yeah. with artists who just respects it and buys others. Oh, fantastic. So, anyways, so yeah, I could bore you for hours with talk about that too. Maybe some other time, but yeah. so now Section Zero is funded. It's going to happen. Yes. Tell us what's next for you now. What are you working? You're working on finishing all the rest of the book and everything with Tom. Well, I mean, we're going to get on that book as fast as I can. Um, Tom, uh, when he got the news that we, that the book was funded, was sitting in a hotel lobby in Niagara Falls, where he's going to be at a convention this weekend. Oh. So uh, Tom and I are going to talk uh, Monday or Tuesday after he gets back and figure out our schedule and um, figure out how soon Tom can get on it. Uh, because, you know, the thing is, is we didn't know this was going to be funded. And so we do have other commitments, you know. So we're, we've got to figure out what our schedule is going to be, when I have to get him script, when he can get me pencils, when I can get the inks to the letterer, letterer and the colorist. But if all goes according to plan... <clears throat> We could have this to the printer by um, October, and it could be in back in our hands by December. That's that's. Now I will say that's a little ideal. There could be things that screw that up. Um, if the printer is slow, uh, we are looking at using a fulfillment service, and uh, actually one that I talked to said they are already booked for December hmm. because December is a big month for fulfilling things. Right. Surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> I'd never thought of that before, but. But anyway, so, but I mean, really, that's the next thing on my plate, uh, is, is to do Section Zero for the next three, four months. Yeah. Wonderful. And I'm very excited about that. Well, now that the Kickstarter campaign is concluded, though, uh, what about those people who uh, missed the boat and did not jump on the bandwagon? Uh, what, uh, is there any way they can uh, be a part of this now? I mean, is it too late to contribute and uh, get on for a copy of the trade? Uh, well, um... I don't know if there's going to be a trade right now. We're going to do the hardcover collected book, uh, oh. collector's edition book. Uh, everyone who gets the printed copy, that's all we're going to print up right now. Um, I, anyways, uh, but to answer your question before I get sidetracked, we are looking into Indiegogo or something like that, um, possibly. I, I've got to figure out what's best for us. There, I've already been contacted by five or six people today going, I missed it. I didn't know about it. You know, you, you know, and I try every avenue I could think of to let people who might know about the book know about it. But, you know, and I, I've been in this, I've been on the other side of the bench. I did not know about uh, John Ostrander and Tom Mandrake's uh, cross Kickstarter book until it was over. I didn't know about it. And, they went to Indiegogo, and that's where I got my copy. It was I got my copy through Indiegogo. So I understand the need for that. And uh, that's a very strong possibility that we're going to be doing that. I just have not looked into it and have not set it up, so I can't make promises. So, But I do think we will find a way 
to get this book in the hands of people who want it. Um, that's the whole point of doing comics. You want it in the hands of people who want to read it. Yeah. So, well, I said, I, I, I support, I know Adam supported it as well. Is that correct? Adam? Yep. I signed up for the same 25 hour bug tier that you did, Ryan. Oh yes. <laughs> as a sidebar, Mr. Kiesel, uh, over the past 17 years since section zero was on uh, the shelves, uh, 24-hour bug has stuck in my mind as one of the more creative character names I've ever seen in a comic. So, well, thank you. Thank you. I, I, the, the story actually there was we we'd come up with the I I I have I'm a huge fan of the movie Them, the giant ant movie. Oh, I yes. love that movie. I love that movie to pieces. Um, it made a huge impact on me when I first saw it as a child. And um, and somewhere in there, the idea of having a character with a giant bug head just really appealed to me. And a few bug legs sticking out of his back, that just really appealed to me. And uh, I wanted to call him Bug Boy, and I thought that was a real World Weekly News sort of name. I could see him on the cover of World Weekly News. Bug Boy, loose in the city, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, bug Boy, seen at local McDonald's, you know, that sort of thing. And um, that really appealed to me. But in 2000, when we were doing this, just a year or two before, Image Comics had published a Bug Boy comic by um, an artist, I think his name is John Lewis, I could have that name wrong, Lewis is his last name, and I think we actually announced the name Bug Boy, and he contacted me and said, you know, I kind of own that name, and I was going, oh, what? there's no other name I could come up with for this character, he's a boy and he's a bug, he's a bug boy, and I still remember laying in bed one night, waking up going, 24-hour bug. He's a bug for 24 hours. And quite honestly, it was one of the best, you know, happy accidents of my life. I'm, I am probably too proud of that name. Probably too proud. <laughs> I don't think you could be proud enough. <laughs> so, and you know, I have to say, one of the things I was going to do on, this, on the Kickstarter, and then when I Knew, I just knew we were not going to make our goal, so I saved this. I saved this for the second Kickstarter because I thought that's when we're really going to make our goal. I was going to do the 24-hour bug where I bugged people for 24 hours to support <laughs> Section Zero. And I, I guess i got to save it for our next Kickstarter. I guess i got to save it. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I know you have to, to go have dinner shortly. Yeah, I have to make dinner for the kids. Meatballs tonight. Ooh, Ooh. Very nice. Spaghetti? Um, but uh, Adam, any last questions from you before we wrap it up? I do have one more. Um, I asked this not only out of my own curiosity, but sort of in memory of another member of our little podcast clique whom we lost to cancer a few years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, his name was Jamie. He was a big uh, Marvel fan, also appreciated things that DC did, and he was a man who enjoyed a gorilla in his comics now and then. <laughs> and so, in his name, Mr. Kiesel, I'd like to ask you to share any reminiscences you might have about the 2008 Marvel event, Marvel Apes, of which oh, wow. you're a writer. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, Marvel Apes, that is one of the most bizarre assignments I ever had thrown in my lap, uh, <laughs> I'll admit. Um, I got, you know... I, I actually have to say, you know, Steve Wacker, he was the editor, uh, we were at, unfortunately, Mike Waringo's funeral, and Steve Wacker said to me, he goes, give me a call when you get back, and, and he goes, it's good news, believe me. And and so I called him up, and that was when he offered me the uh, the Marvel Apes uh, assignment. And um, at first I was like going, really? Marvel Apes? And, and I said, well, <laughs> let me figure out a story. If I can actually figure out a story... For that concept, yeah, we'll go. Uh, then, then sign me up. And I took took a weekend, and I, I figured out an idea that seemed to work for me. And I, I wrote up a little pitch, and I sent it in to uh, to Steve. And Steve goes, um, he goes, oh, he goes, I, I, I didn't think you'd you'd like spend time on this. Uh, otherwise, I would have told you that Joe Casada wants the apes to be vampires too. <laughs> and I said, what? And uh, and that really, you know. Apes was hard enough, but vampire apes. And uh, I sat down to think about it, and I realized, now, I've never talked to Joe Quesada about this, so I really don't know if this is the case. But, um, I mean, the vampire apes was non-negotiable. That was part of the deal. And what I started to think was, Joe is thinking apes are not dangerous enough. Joe wants the readers to know these are really powerful, dangerous characters, so that's why he wants them to be vampires. He He wants there to be a sense of threat that overcomes the inherent silliness of the idea. 
But I didn't think we needed that. I actually thought if you played them like real apes, they would be really brutal and vicious and deadly all by themselves. And um, and so I, I kind of walked a very fine line where I did have some of them as vampires, but um, but I think still some of the most uh, uh, dangerous apes and the most brutal apes are, are just apes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, for what it was, I think it was a, a, a miniseries that I can still stand beside, you know. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, for some reason, I've always loved Gibbon, the Gibbon, and so it gave me a perfect excuse to use him. I, I have no idea why I love the Gibbon, but I always have. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was, uh, it was an interesting little side road to go down. I, I have to say, and it did lead into you know the uh, Marvel Apes versus Marvel Zombies, and I am a huge zombie fan, so that was a real fun job to do. So, so those those are the memories I have of that. Yeah, I do agree with you. Vampire apes is kind of gild- gilding the lily a little bit, but I, see, you don't, yeah, you don't need it. You don't need it, you know. <laughs> but so, <laughs> I, I did enjoy that miniseries, and I know that Jamie did too. So, from both of us, I, I thank you. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, and I, I mean, I got to work with some great uh, artists. I specifically remember when we did the Spider Monkey one shot, and I got introduced to, to um, oh, Riley. Uh, whose name, name is blanking on me now, of course, because I, I love it, but I love his work so much, and it was great, so. Now, in between your busy schedule, do you have any convention appearances coming up for the rest of this year? I'm going to be a Rose City, and well, what is that? Portland, right? Portland, it's Portland, like I can walk out my door and go to the convention, <laughs> you know. So uh, I'm going to be a Rose City, and um, I am going to be at a uh, convention in, in Palm Springs, in August, which is just the time you want to go to Palm Springs. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but uh, but um, but I'm gonna, I agreed to do that one, and uh, I also have agreed in I think also September sometime to do a uh, the Saskatoon Expo where Tom Grummet and I will will both be there. Oh, nice! Because he's so. from the area, isn't he not? What was that? Isn't he from the, that part of the country in Canada? Yeah, he's from Saskatoon. That's where he. That's his hometown. That's where he is. So I'll go up and visit him on his turf. So that'll be good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us. We probably have managed to get you on the show. Um, looking forward to Second Zero coming out. Maybe there'll be a Christmas miracle. Who knows? I would like that. I would like to have it out by Christmas. And, um, I mean, Tom and I are already talking about the next volume. It, there, there's going to be another, another Kickstarter for another Section Zero, probably very early 2018. Oh, wow. I mean, I would like to do one of these Kickstarters every year. Not always for Section Zero, possibly. But... Um, Quite honestly, I, I see this as the legacy for my children, because they they own Section Zero, uh, or will, you know what I mean? And uh, they all, all they can say is, Dad worked on Superman, but they can own Section Zero. Mm. Well, if you do so, those Kickstarters, I'm going to look out for some more pages to go up there to get some incentive for me. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, Tom, Tom is going to have to start reading his... I'm, I'm down to pages I don't want to part with at this point. Okay. You know, I, I was torn over getting rid of some of the ones I did, let me tell you. But it worked. Well, you know, that's what it comes down to. you you, you got to pick uh, your favorite babies sometimes, your favorite child. <laughs> and Section Zero is our favorite. There's no doubt. Now, I know the tagline was, there is no Section Zero, but yes, boys and girls, there will be a Section be. Zero. Yes, there there So, and, and of course, the other tagline for Section Zero, which, which uh, I think I'll emphasize in the future, is um, protecting mankind from everything that doesn't exist. Wonderful. Because that's what they do. Well, Mr. Kiesel, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. And looking forward to seeing Section Zero as soon as you can get into our hands. Uh, I am, too. I really want it in my hands, too. (laughs) All right, take care and enjoy enjoy your dinner, then. (laughs) Thank you. You guys, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night. Bye. Oh, you still there, Adam? You bet I am. Wasn't that wonderful? That was a good time. Yes. That was more than one hoot. Yes, it was several hoots. You know, we we don't do too many interviews. It's been quite a long time since we've done a, a first-time guest on the show. Uh, it's just a matter of, well, many factors, you know, uh, our time, scheduling. I know Adam's not a huge fan of interviews, but I know you're a big fan of Mr. Kiesel, so I'm happy you got this to work out. Mm-hmm. Yep, I d- didn't come up in conversation, but I do have a convention sketch he did for me back in 2011 at Heroes Con, right here in front of me. That's right. It, it is, of course, of Bizarro. <laughs> Bizarro. <laughs> yes. 
And I, I did mention to him, I think it was, was, was off the air, but the uh, page I have uh, from Trinity, uh, the weekly series back from, I guess, like the 2008 or nine, uh, where he inked over Mike Norton on the backup of The Riddler, where Mike were due into one of the microphones of a press conference, the CGS logo. So I have uh, his inked page of that with the CGS logo on it. Very nice. And Very nice indeed. Yes, and uh, yeah, this, this whole, as we mentioned before, this whole thing sort of could have been a different interview, but I'm so happy to uh, that it actually has been funded, and we're going to get it in our hands just as soon as we possibly can. I am actually eager as heck to read this book in its completed form now, yes. because you know, it, 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 those of you listening who haven't uh, visited their Kickstarter campaign page, uh, they, they did reproduce uh, like a five-page preview of Section Zero from back in the year 2000. I think it ran in the first issue of George Perez's Crimson Plague, mm-hmm. and uh, that... Now, that really whetted my appetite, that, that little preview that, uh, that Grummet and Kiesel did back then uh, for what this book was all about. Because it revealed that there's kind of a hidden history to this group, this uh, group of uh, sort of cryptid hunters and uh, defenders of mankind from, as, well, as the new tagline still tells us, things that don't exist. And so we got to see different versions of the team from different points in history, like the original team, which is kind of like the Challengers of the Unknown or the original Suicide Squad, and then gradually adding like superhuman members over time, you know, Mr. Carl mentioned uh, he, he was kind of thinking along the lines of the Weekly World News for some of the characters. There's actually an Elvis lookalike <laughs> in one of the past versions of the team. And that, that's the kind of fun stuff that he and, and Mr. Grummet are, are injecting into this series. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to sinking my um, figurative teeth into uh, what they're, they're going to put together for this hardcover. Yes. And, yeah, I, I love Mr. Grummet's artwork for a long time and was very happy that to support the campaign and that it actually was funded. Mm, yep, it was a bit of a miracle, but then comics are a medium of miracles, so yes. shouldn't be too surprised, but nonetheless grateful. All right, so hope you enjoyed that interview. Maybe we'll do some more in the future. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, playing it by ear. Yes. All right, well, once again, this episode was brought to you by SuperheroStuff.com, where you go to for all of your Superhero super Stuff. stuff. <laughs> all right. <laughs> If you want to leave us a voicemail, the number is 267-702-6642. You can send us an email at comicgeekspeak at gmail.com. And, of course, visit the website at comicgeekspeak.com. You can join in the conversation at thecomicforums.com and talk back about this episode, about many other topics. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at Comic Geek Speak. We want to thank everyone who contributed to the show. We appreciate it. Could not do without you. And as always, we are uniting the world's mightiest heroes, one listener at a time. Hi, I'm Carl Kiesel. Good evening. My name is Tom Grummet, and here's what you need to know about Section Zero. There is no Section Zero. There's no Section Zero. There is no Section Zero. There's no Section Zero. There is no Section Zero. There is no Section Zero. There is no Section Zero. Section Zero is not a secret section of the United Nations Charter. It does not perpetually fund a team of experts and explorers to investigate the fantastic and unknown. The idea that this team looks into things such as UFOs, monsters, lost civilizations, time travel, ancient gods, and still living dinosaurs, is nothing but an urban myth. After all, none of these things exist. Okay, first, thank you everyone who contributed to that. Second, there are a few other things you need to know about Section Zero. Section Zero was created by Tom Grummet and myself. We're career cartoonists, which is a good thing, because I live in Portland, Oregon. 
and Tom lives in Saskatoon, Canada. And there's really not a lot else we can do except make comics. If you've read comics in the last 30 years, chances are you've read something Tom and I have worked on together or separately. Probably best known for the death of Superman storyline. Superboy. Robin. Harley Quinn. The Avengers. Fantastic Four. Superboy. Suicide Squad. The Teen Titans. Daredevil. Spider-Man. Battlestar Galactica. New Thunderbolts. Um, oh, almost forgot Superboy. Section Zero is high-octane, high-adventure. Sort of uh, Jack Kirby does the X-Files. It has a great alien. Amphibious fishman by the name of Sargasso. A guy with a cursed tattoo that changes him into a bug for exactly 24 hours. The 24-hour bug. Probably my favorite character so far. But at its core, it's about the relationship between Doc Challenger, the team leader, an Olympic athlete and a brilliant scientist, and Sam Wildman, a bit of a loose cannon. It's about the cost of love and how far we'll go for love, but with added monsters. We created Section Zero back in 2000. But after only three issues, lots of cool stuff was happening. Doc Challenger vanished in a, in a ring of fire. The rest of the team was scrambling to figure out what happened to her. And then... Personal matters meant that I could no longer continue working on it. And we had to put the project on the shelf. The original tagline for Section Zero was, There is no Section Zero which turned out to be kind of prophetic. But we always wanted to bring it back. And after many false starts and dead ends, it looks like Kickstarter is our best chance to finish the story we began 17 years ago. 17 years ago. Section Zero is a labor of love for us, but our passion can only take us so far. Now we need your help. Without your support, without you... This project will never happen. I know we're asking a lot, but only because this means a lot to us. In many ways, our original tagline is more true now than ever because there is no Section Zero without you. Without you.